another trip around the sun. That was scary. That was fun. But what a year, 21. And even though it's as good as done, we'll look back once more before we run onto track 22 as we start anew. This one's for me. This one's for you. January brought a riot to our capital. Cryptos hit a trillion. No longer laughable. Wall Street bets squeezed the shorts. Meme stock mania. February brought the freeze from Texas to Pennsylvania. Bezos stepped down and Musk kept smoking. 69 million paid in March for a non-fungible token. The rescue plan was passed, but the Suez got blocked. The Evergrande was just the start of a supply chain rocked by the pandemic, the beginning of inflation, job openings soaring across the nation. A pipeline got hacked as we said hello to May. Dogecoin went lunar. That was so cray. We dropped our mass in June and started parting, then July brought Delta. Vax mandates starting to divide the country even more than before. Stimmy checks, diamond hands, tendies, and more. Retail traders wilding out in this place, where billies took their private ships into space. And you remember... How the temperature changed in September when the Fed said it would start to taper and gas prices started spiking and Facebook stopped liking its name and changed it to Meta and Web3 and DeFi started raking in cheddar and then along came November. Climate talks, more records for stocks, a trillion more in government cash, a GE breakup, a union shakeup at Starbucks. I'll take a chai latte to go because December brought the O and we're swabbing our noses. But for investors, it was a year for the roses. We climbed the wall of worries. We kept our cool through all the stress and now we roll into 22 like bosses on the Investopedia Express. I missed you, can you tell? And it's so good to be back on the Investopedia Express. Happy 2022 to all of you and all of yours. And what a year for investors, especially U.S. stock investors. The S&P 500 closed out 2021 with a gain of 28%, hitting 70 record highs along the way. It was the third straight year of double-digit gains for the index, and the Dow gained 19%, while the Nasdaq posted a 22% gain. The major averages posting their best three-year performance since 1999. And the big got bigger almost everywhere you look across capital markets. The five biggest stocks in the S&P 500 have accounted for more than half of the S&P 500's gain since April. Those include Microsoft, NVIDIA, Apple, Alphabet, and Tesla. If you own those stocks or the big indexes and ETFs in 2021, you had a terrific year. If you chased meme stocks through their wild journeys or bought highly hyped IPOs out of the gate, you had a more challenging year. The biggest ETFs got bigger and so did the biggest wealth managers like Vanguard, Fidelity, and BlackRock. But despite the record highs for the indexes, there are bear markets everywhere. More than 300 unprofitable companies' stock prices fell more than 50% from their recent peaks. Hot IPOs from last year, including Robinhood, Oatly, Didi, and Toast, have failed to trade above their public offering prices so far. But that didn't stop the IPO train from breaking records last year. A record 19 companies raised more than a billion dollars each via IPO in 2021, and more than $1 trillion in total was raised via IPOs, SPACs, and direct listings in 2021. But back to the indexes. Remember when we were talking to Jan Van Eck about this being the golden age for individual investors? Well, check these stats out. The S&P 500 has finished higher in 12 out of the last 13 years and 17 out of the last 19. Over the past three years, the S&P 500 has more than doubled up more than 100%, its highest three-year return since 1997 to 1999. From the bottom of the great financial crisis in March of 2009, the S&P 500 is now up more than 800%. That's almost 19% annualized returns for nearly 13 years. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? 
Is this not why you are here? Yes, Maximus, we are entertained, but we shouldn't get too comfortable. The majority of investment banks are forecasting much more moderate gains for 2022, with the average increase of 4.5% for the year. Now, keep in mind that many of those same banks had similar, if not more dire forecasts for 2021, so keep the salt handy. But the challenges facing investors and the global economy in 2022, they look pretty steep from here at Basecamp. U.S. money supply has increased over 40% in the past two years, the largest two-year increase ever, as the Fed and Treasury have been priming the pumps. That inflation we're feeling, that might have a little something to do with it. And inflation is just one of the big obstacles in our path. Rising interest rates will also be a reality of 2022. The Fed is projecting up to three interest rate hikes beginning in March, and that will blow a cold wind through the economy as borrowing costs rise. It will also change the temperature of the stock market, where investors have enjoyed interest rates near zero since the spring of 2020. What about government spending? It's also been the fuel on the fire of a booming stock market, but Biden's Build Back Better plan is on the ropes and may never make it to the president's desk. That could be a big blow to the green energy sector, as well as to government policy plans, including the child care tax credit and student loan repayments. Those two policies have helped American savings rates hit record levels last year, and they've helped spending remain strong despite inflation. What about market participation? Around 20 million new investors and traders joined the stock market in 2021, a lot of people chasing AMC, GameStop, and their fellow meme stocks. Now that the air has come out of most of them, will retail investors stay in the market? They were a huge influence in 2021, and a record number of 401k millionaires were minted. But if the thrill is gone, will they take their tendies with them and remove their diamond gloves? We shall see. And then there's COVID. More variants and more battles over vaccinations means more uncertainty for the economic outlook and the investing landscape. Many health experts say it will be an epidemic by mid-year, but COVID has this nasty way of making us rethink our assumptions. Well, what sectors will lead the way in 2022? Energy was the leader in 2021 with a nearly 55% gain as oil prices rebounded with a vengeance. Global growth is good for energy stocks, but we may have hit peak global growth a few months ago. Real estate was 21's second strongest sector with a 44% gain. Low interest rates was the wind in its sails, especially for REITs, those real estate investment trusts. They love low rates, but we know that tune is changing. Tech was relentless in 21, especially big technology stocks like Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Alphabet. They account for more than 25% of the S&P 500's market cap. They've become their own safe haven for investors, but over-concentration can lead to top-heaviness for the indexes. We've seen that before. Financials performed pretty well last year, benefiting from a lot of trading activity, M&A, lending, and underwriting. Money was everywhere, and banks' balance sheets are strong. As rates rise, so do their net interest margins. So 2022 could be a great year for the financial sector. million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? You... billion dollars. Oh, the great Justin Timberlake in the formidable social network. And yes, 2021 was a very good year to be a multi-billionaire. Soaring equity markets and rising valuations of everything from mansions to crypto to commodities boosted the collective fortune of the world's 500 richest people by more than $1 trillion. There are now a record 10 fortunes in excess of $100 billion and more than 200 above $10 billion. Elon Musk tops the list, hitting $273 billion in net worth, up 75% from 2020. Jeff Bezos is right behind him with $194 billion, followed by Bernard Arnault with $177 billion. Bill Gates has $138 billion left, and Larry Page has $129 billion, according to Bloomberg. Well, let's stop counting other people's money and get set up for a busy first week of the year. 
Will we get a January effect this year? More on that term later, but January is historically one of the strongest months of the year for stocks if you invest by the calendar. Members of OPEC and OPEC Plus will kick off the year with a meeting on production quotas. High oil prices have been a boon for oil-producing countries, and many members of the cartel want to see more production before demand dissipates. On Tuesday, the Department of Labor will release its Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, the JOLT Report, for the month of November. In October, the number of job openings hovered near an all-time high with 11 million new job postings. The national quits rate fell slightly in October from 3% to 2.8%, but the struggle continues for companies trying to hire enough workers amid a national labor shortage. On Friday, we'll get the December Employment Report from the Department of Labor. Remember, in November, only 222,000 jobs were added even as the unemployment rate fell to 4.2%. Did hiring stall last month due to Omicron? The early estimates are for gains of around 450,000 jobs added last month. We'll also get December sales reports from the big automakers and the EV leaders, including Tesla and NIO. Tesla said this weekend that its sales grew 87% from last December. We'll also get December traffic reports from the major airlines. Air travel looked miserable, crowded, and delayed over the holidays, and airlines are struggling with their own labor issues. Are friendlier skies in store for 2022? And there are a few retail earnings reports worth watching before the fourth quarter results start rolling in a couple of weeks from now. On Thursday, Bed Bath & Beyond, Walgreen Boots Alliance, Constellation Brands, and Conagra Brands will all report results. Put your inflation antenna on when those results cross the tape. You hear that? That's the sound of the thundering herd of global investors who have piled into exchange-traded funds over the past two years. For the first time ever, annual global net inflows into exchange-traded funds topped $1 trillion in 2021. This brings total global assets invested in ETFs to $10 trillion, more than twice their value at the end of 2018. The choices for both retail and institutional investors are endless. There's an ETF for just about anything you can securitize, and you can securitize almost everything. So what's in store for ETF investors in 2022? Let's go right to the expert, the one and only Tom Lydon, the CEO of ETF Trends and a good friend of ours here at Investopedia. Welcome to the Express, Tom. Hey, Caleb. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And before we jump in, we should let folks know that you and I are hosting our first ever ETF summit this Wednesday, January 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's 90 minutes with some of the smartest people we know in the investing and ETF universe, where we're going to explore what's next for tech, crypto, ESG, fixed income, global investing and more. It's free to everyone. And there are already thousands of people signed up. So go to etftrends.com slash webcasts to sign up and we'll link the sign up in the podcast description wherever you are listening as well. Tom, I'm so fired up for our ETF summit this week. It's going to be a blast, Caleb, and getting all of our friends, the ETF nerds together to really celebrate a great year in ETF flows. But most importantly, talk strategies for 22. I know there's so much to talk about and we have some amazing people on the docket to take questions and we've gotten hundreds of questions already. So folks, sign up January 5th, 1 p.m. Eastern time for ETFs 22 with Investopedia and ETF Trends. I'm so psyched for it. Tom, let's set the stage for 2022. Given what we know so far, we know we're going to be in a rising interest rate environment. There may or may not be more government spending. There's probably going to be more crypto adoption and there's definitely going to be more ETFs. But from where you sit, What are the big things you're seeing on the horizon? Well, first of all, the the demand for ETFs probably aren't going to slow down because we've, as you pointed out, we've got all invested asset classes covered. I think there's a lot of 
positivity in the marketplace right now, even though there's a little bit of concern about stock valuations. The good thing, even though it was a killer year for the market, it wasn't overly dominated by FANG stocks. They did well. And as you know, FANG stocks make up about 25% of the market cap in the S&P 500 and about 50% of the market cap in the NASDAQ 100. But even the equal weight S&P 500 was up almost as much as the S&P. Value was up almost as much as the S&P. So being able to see advancement in all types of stocks in, in 2021 was very positive. As you point out, concerns about inflation and also rising interest rates isn't that great for growth stocks. But if smaller companies or value stocks actually get to see some love, as many advisors and investors are diversified in those areas, that's really positive. I think the big concern is on the other side of the balance sheet. It's on the fixed income side. Inflation is not good for bonds. Rising rates are not good for bonds. The ag lost money this year. And when you talk about real rates of return, it's challenging because there are hundreds of billions of dollars that are tied to the ag. And you think about those that are getting close to retirement or in retirement that right now, after 30 years of declining interest rates, are feeding off of very low yields, but now they're in the situation where as rates rise, they can actually lose money in their fixed income portfolios. So advisors and investors are they're reacting. They're pushing more money into cash. Uh, money market rates are, are low, but they've got $7 trillion in them right now. Uh, passbook accounts and banks are $15 trillion. It's definitely a concern to the marketplace. Probably one of the biggest concerns that we've seen in fixed income in decades. Yeah, been tough for those folks who have been counting on it. And we know that advisors and investment strategists have been leaning more towards the heavier equity side of the portfolio. Anyway, that 60-40 notion is a 20th century thing for many people out there, even though so many folks depend on that on that fixed income. Back to what you said about the most sectors of the market doing well. You had that big rebound in energy, obviously a very big deal. That was probably helpful there. But you do want to see that kind of balanced scoring like on a basketball team. You want you know a bunch of players with double figures and some steals and some rebounds. But is there a, a part of the market that got a little too swollen that looks vulnerable in 2021 as we head into the new year where investors were piling in and now it seems like they can't get out fast enough or it seems a little top heavy. We know areas, including the fixed income area of the marketplace that was challenged, areas like China, China and China-related ETFs, especially tech-related China ETFs, took it on the chin in a big way. And also after a really good year in 2020, for disruptive technology, Kathy Wood and the folks at ARC and any other folks that had those thematic ETFs did really, really well in 2020. Started off the year strong, but coming out off of the highs in February gave a lot back. So the big question is, as we look at those innovative strategies, future-looking companies, the future FANG stocks, are they dead? Or was it a natural correction in a very growthy area And might that be a buying opportunity? I think those are going to be some of the big questions going into next year. I wouldn't bet against Kathy Wood. I wouldn't bet against China. China is going to come back as well. But I think from a safety standpoint, we definitely saw some volatility in some of those hot dots. And then we could talk about crypto. Uh, It was a great year for crypto and ETFs with this innovation of Bitcoin futures-based strategy ETFs. There were three of them that launched. The biggest launch 
in ETF history as far as getting to a billion dollars in a matter of days with the ProShares BITO ETF. Pretty amazing when you look at the space. But then again, the big question is, will we see a spot-based Bitcoin ETF in 2022? That's the big question. Yeah, listeners will remember we had Jan Van Eck on the podcast not too long ago talking about Von Eck's new offering, which is tied to Bitcoin futures. And he's, you know, like a lot of folks, frustrated that the SEC is sitting on their hands in terms of approving or at least giving guidance on a spot uh, related Bitcoin ETF where you can actually trade the price, not the futures of Bitcoin. But do you expect some of that regulation to ease or tighten in 2022? Because we know the SEC's got a pretty firm eye on cryptocurrency, on the exchange themselves and on a lot of these ETFs and other related products that are coming out. Do you expect that to tighten or do you think we'll see some loosening and see some more new products for investors out there? Unfortunately, right now, I think the message from the SEC and Gary Gensler is he's given the market what they wanted, not everything that they wanted. They have access to an ETF. He has trust in the 40 Act fund strategy. It's regulated. He has trust in the futures based strategy as well as he spent a lot of time at the CFTC organizing and regulating that area of the market. So with that in mind, you're now in a situation where there's choice. You can buy an ETF in your Fidelity or your Schwab account. It correlates pretty well to the spot price, but there's also other trust opportunities. So people also can come in and buy GBTC through Grayscale. They also have an Ethereum product there. Or many people are going to Coinbase and setting up their wallets. So I think from a comfort standpoint, the SEC feels really good about options. And it's going to take probably not months, but maybe years before we eventually see a spot Bitcoin ETF. Let's go global for a sec, Tom. The U.S. dominated in terms of returns, index returns in 2021, but there were some countries that had very strong years from an ETF perspective, like Norway, given oil prices and some others. What do you expect in 2022? It really has been a U.S.-only market in in the past 10 years. Developed markets have struggled. And maybe part of that is we've had such a growth-oriented marketplace and more growth-oriented stocks tend to be domiciled in the U.S., Valuations overseas are relatively cheap, almost 40% off compared to the S&P 500. It would make sense from a diversification standpoint to be there. If you are a diversified investor, there are a lot of great choices. The other thing is emerging markets are even cheaper from a relative standpoint, and they're going to have that much more growth going forward. So if you've got the patience and you have a long-term outlook, There's some good bargains to be picked off if you have more of a home country bias in your portfolio. And the average investor has a very high correlation to the S&P, as you know, Caleb. It it makes sense as long as that's winning. When it's not winning, you're going to start shaking your head. So the best thing to do is diversify when you're overweight in the winners because those losers will eventually pick up. And then also small caps. Small caps over the long term, outperform large caps, but that hasn't been the case in the last 10 years. Looking at the small cap of the Russell 2000, 
They're also, from a valuation standpoint, cheaper stocks available that will eventually catch up. But the big got bigger, not just in, in stock land, where we, the FANG stocks, again, are, are so concentrated, and you have Microsoft and you have Tesla in there now as well. Concentration across the big indexes, the market-weighted indexes, but also concentration in ETFs, where the big ETFs got bigger in 2021, just like they did in 2020. And you know who they are. A lot of folks are invested in them actively or passively. Is this just the land of the giants and there are still, you know, you can make some money in some smaller ETFs, but really we live among the giants here? Well, eventually the market reverts to the mean and it has been an incredible 12 years coming out of the financial crisis for large cap stocks. Diversification though is going to be important. And there's so many people out there that have been at this for decades that understand, boy, you can buy some cheap stocks. Value, for example, in the last 10 years has just drastically underperformed growth. And for those that have hung on, there hasn't been a reward, but eventually they feel that it'll be there. On the other hand, there are some that are saying the dynamics of the marketplace has changed. Technology is moving at such a fast rate that the Kathy Woods of the world and the thematic disruptive technology companies are areas that you have to be in because even though you might see more volatility and some larger pullbacks from time to time, that's okay because if you want to be in those future FANG stocks, you've got to make some commitments now. Anything on the regulatory front that ETF investors need to know about going into the new year? Well, the neat thing is regulatory landscape for ETFs has just gotten easier, more accommodating. The great thing is more and more issuers are coming to market. For example, if you're an investment advisor, it's not difficult for you to launch your own ETF. And one thing that you're going to start seeing is a lot of large and medium-sized financial advisors that use ETFs in client portfolios are actually going to be creating their own ETFs. Caleb, you and I could create an ETF if we wanted to. In fact, maybe we should. But with that in mind, there's so much more creativity that's out there. It's so much easier to bring good ideas to market. And as you pointed out here earlier, there's an ETF for everything. Right. So I'm not creating one with you unless we come up with the best ticker out there because it's all about the ticker for me and what you can put on a t-shirt. So we got to put some thought into that, but why not? How do retail investors take into account what they should be paying attention to when they're making choices? If you're looking at that sort of top five checklist for the individual investor when they're examining an ETF, considering an investment, Tom, what do you recommend? Yeah, well, first of all, it's nice and entertaining to talk about the hot dot like crypto, but it's only going to be a small portion of an advisor, client portfolio, or individual investor portfolio. So let's make sure we hone in on that. The other thing is the core positions are really what's going to provide that growth in the future. So for example, even though we had almost a trillion dollars in new money come into ETFs in 2021, over 100 billion came into the top three S&P 500 ETFs. So the story is, it's more of the big ones continue to gain the assets. Make sure you're properly allocated in the core. At the same time, and this is one of the big things we're going to be covering when we get together uh, with our team later this week, it's going to be about strategy for the new year. So some big themes are going to be inflation and rising interest rates. So what do you do about your fixed income portfolio? What do you do about the 60-40? Many advisors and investors are moving to 70-30 or even 80-20 because it's not safe to have big fixed income allocations. 
What are areas that do well during times like when inflation is hot? We really haven't seen inflation hot since the 70s, but we know that areas like commodities, energy, agriculture, carbon has been hot. And even there's a case for crypto there as well. So there are a lot of commodity strategies out there that did really well in 21. Carbon is an area that as we're looking to have a cleaner world, there's going to be more and more focused on carbon futures that are out there. And it's a tradable area of the marketplace. It's done very, very well. Clean energy, green energy, ESG exploded in 21. There are many people, you know, uh, not just baby boomers, but young investors that are saying, hey, I want to have a diversified portfolio, but there are certain stocks that I really don't want to get behind and I want to clean up my portfolio. You can do that today very inexpensively and you don't have to give up performance. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. So ESG is obviously a big theme and our listeners know that well. We have the Green Investor Podcast that we recently launched to get into it and talk about it a lot. But that screening and that notion of have it your way, you and I are old enough to remember the Burger King commercials, you know, have it your way. And investors can have that these days. There are platforms like Canvas that allow you to screen companies in and out of your portfolios or your advisor could do it for you. But more and more of that, and then ESG is being unpacked more to realize that there are some companies that are in some of the top ESG funds Funds, as my as our listeners know, that would surprise you that they, that they made it in there because they're either oil producers or they consume a tremendous amount of energy for what they do. So that whole thing needs to be unpacked some more. But Tom, would love your hot take for 2022. Didn't prompt you for this one. Just going to give it, give it to me hot. What do you think that could happen in 2022 out of nowhere that, that may surprise us? I think back to fixed income investors are not ready for rising interest rates. They're not ready for what that's going to do to portfolios. I'm still kind of shocked by the amount of money that is in 401k plans that in target date mutual funds. So remember, if you were set to retire in the next couple of years, your target date mutual fund that happened to be, let's call it a 2025 target date mutual fund, probably more than half, 50, 60% would be in bonds. Because you're retiring at that point, you're not going to have more income. It's important that you keep that safe. Well, that 50 or 60% is not going to be safe in a rising rate environment, number one. And number two, if you're 65 years old, there's a great chance you're going to live to 85. And if you've got another 20 years, why wouldn't you have a greater percent of that allocation in growth or in value stocks or dividend-related stocks where you can actually offset the low rate that we have right now and the threat to fixed income. So I think the big eye-opening event that will happen is when we start to see rates kick in and people see how that has a negative effect on their portfolio, they're going to play catch up. And when they all head to the exits to sell fixed income at the same time, it's all going to be exacerbated. It's going to be another one of those extremes and years full of extremes. Here comes another one. But I think you're absolutely right about that. Tom, you know, we're a site built on our investing terms. What's your favorite investing term and why? Which is the one that just speaks to your heart and and makes you love doing what you do? I think inflation for the year. I know that's one of your top terms, but understanding inflation and you guys do a great job with terms, understanding that inflation is based on declining of purchasing power. And if we've seen some pretty high inflation numbers right now, understanding that in the fixed income area, people say, well, I'm going to make two or 3%. Well, that's great. And even if you can maintain that, first of all, that's not safe. But 
if you calculate it from a real return standpoint, if you've got an inflation rate that's 5%, you've got to chop that off the real return number as well. So understanding inflation is almost as critical as understanding what inflation rising interest rates can do to fixed income. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm nerding out on the oh, fixed income it. side, we love it. <laughs> but, but it, it's really key and critical for people to understand that. Yeah, don't don't worry about nerding out with Investopedia. That's we go there and we we love it. So, folks, if you love this and you want to hear more about ETFs, you got to join Tom and I and about a dozen of the smartest people we know this Wednesday, January fifth at one p.m. Eastern time. It's a ninety-minute free ETF summit, and we're going to be going over all of these themes and more. You can register for free. So go to www.etftrends.com slash webcast slash ETFs dash 2022 and we would love to see you there bring your questions tom thanks so much for joining us on the express and follow tom Lydon. follow what the folks are doing over there at etf trends and etf db so much good information there for investors thanks for being with us thanks caleb It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week. This week's term comes to us from Newman in Hyattsville, Maryland, right there in lovely Prince George's County. Newman suggests the January effect for this week, and why not? According to my favorite website, the January effect is a perceived seasonal increase in stock prices during the month of January. Analysts generally attribute this rally to an increase in buying, which follows the drop in price that typically happens in December when investors, engaging in tax loss harvesting to offset realized capital gains, prompt a sell-off. Another possible explanation is that investors use year-end cash bonuses to purchase investments to start the year. Since 1938, 29 out of the 30 years of gains seen in January resulted in average yearly S&P 500 advances of 20%. In other words, a strong start to the year is usually a good sign that the rest of the year will also be strong. On the other hand, gains in January mostly come if December was strong. So if there's momentum coming into the new year, the January effect usually plays out. But the bottom line for investors like us is that calendar indicators like the January effect, the Valentine's Day indicator, the Santa Claus rally, They're interesting and they're noteworthy, but they should not be the foundations of our investing strategy. We should be aware of them, but let's stick to our own consistent investing strategies. Good suggestion anyway, Nauman. Socks are coming your way to warm up the new year. Hey, it's a new year and there are some new changes 401k investors need to know about. Workers who are younger than 50 can contribute a maximum of $20,500 to a 401k in 2022. That's up $1,000 from the limit in 2021. If you're age 50 and older, you can add an extra $6,500 per year in catch-up contributions, bringing your total 401k contributions for 2022 to $27,000. That's a pretty big deal, and you should take advantage of the opportunity to add to your plan if you can. Read more about it on Investopedia and see what else is new for investors and savers this year. We're going to let Ferris Bueller take us out this week. It's Matthew Broderick, of course, the mega-talented actor playing Ferris in the 1986 classic film written and directed by the legendary John Hughes. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Things do seem like they're moving pretty fast, especially here on the Express. But let's take Ferris's advice this year and remember to slow it down and look around. Thanks for riding on board the Express again in 2022, and let's make it a great year. We'll talk again real soon, a little further on down the line. 